Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Electric Cities Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. going to talk about Toronto's Pearson International Airport, one of the most vital transportation hubs in the country. Its impact on our economy is enormous, and now there's a proposed long-term plan to see the airport expand once again, including a massive new multimodal transit hub that would connect numerous local and regional transit lines right at the airport's doorstep. Joining me is Eileen Wader, Director of Corporate Relations and Strategic Partnerships at Pearson's Greater Toronto Airports Authority. Eileen, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you today. Thank you. Now, Air Pearson, I think just about everyone knows that it is the largest airport in Canada. Um, what are some of the stats that you like to cite that speak to this? Sure. Well, last year we finished out at just over 44 million passengers. And uh, sorry, 47 million passengers. And this year we will definitely cross the 50 million passenger threshold. Um, we are the second largest international gateway in North America after John F. Kennedy mm-hmm. Airport. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, within, I predict within uh, the next five years, we will have surpassed that and claim the number one spot. Really? So we have service. Some 65 airlines reach some 180 cities across the world. We have, we connect to about 60% of the world's economy by our estimation with same day direct service. Hmm. And hopefully uh, that number will increase as we improve our global reach to some 80% of the global economy. So you said that you expect us to surpass JFK. How, how are we able, is that just because JFK's growth projections aren't as aggressive? You know, every airport has aspirations, hopes and dreams, growth projections. We're just we're just looking at the rate of our growth mm-hmm. and seeing uh, seeing the success that we're having in increasing that international reach. So Pearson is Canada's biggest airport, but I'm curious to know why it is the biggest. Is it is it just because Toronto is the largest city in Canada or or are there other reasons? You really can't disconnect um, an airport from the city region within which it lives. So um, it's an overused phrase, but it really is a symbiotic relationship. So as the success of Toronto and the success of Canada, success of the province goes, so do we. But also as we enable with that uh, global connectivity or actually with the domestic connectivity that we uh, supply for Canada, that also helps enable that growth. What about its geographic look, just by being in the yeah. in the eastern part of the country and, and close to a large we, population? We have a significant catchment area in the North American market by virtue of where we sit. Mm-hmm. And where we sit within the world um, makes a lot of sense for airlines to route people through. I see. So it used to be, uh, at one time, it used to be Gander and Newfoundland, yes, right? Yeah. And that was because of distances that planes were able to... Distances and, quite frankly, fuel capacity as right. well, right? I mean, actually, even before Gander became a thing, uh, you would actually have a stop up in Reykjavik before you stopped in exactly. Gander. You'd come from Europe, Reykjavik, uh, two fuel stops, and then, then you'd land in Montreal. You know, I, I was thinking back just a few weeks ago, I... I had to travel out west, and we were in Terminal 3 at the WestJet Departure Lounge, and there was one section that had some really nice old photos 
of Malton Airport. It used to be mm-hmm. called Malton Airport. And it was really interesting to see a photo or a couple of photos of the old terminal building mm-hmm. surrounded by farmland. Yes. Um, I'm wondering if you could just give me a quick quick snapshot of some of the key milestones in, in the historical evolution of the airport. Sure. Sure. So Malton Airport, no doubt you looked at the first... Um, the first photo when the Toronto Harbour Commission first opened up the airport back in 1937. Um, Why was it, so what is the Toronto Harbour Commission and the airport? So that that in itself is uh, raises a question mark for me. What, what does the Harbour Commission have to do with you? Well, that's interesting. I am not, I don't actually know the answer to that, but I, my, my presumption is that as the transportation government and, and the government of Canada was managing transportation assets, okay. railways, ports, right. seaways, and then migrating into airports, uh, but that's now you've piqued my interest. I'm going to go and have a look. But okay. look at the Toronto Ports Authority downtown right. that manages both uh, a marine function and an aviation function too. So, mm-hmm. so that probably is the precursor of that. Okay. So um, a site near Malton, approximately 25 miles northwest of Toronto, where as now we would call ourselves fully embedded within the Greater Toronto Region, that was chosen as the site of a new airport. Um, Toronto Harbour Commission was dispatched to assemble some land, mostly farmland, um, and it opened with some 1,400 acres, and the airport was called, as you mentioned, Malton Airport. And the first scheduled passenger flight from Malton was a Trans-Canada Airlines DC-3, August 29th, 1939. That was an arriving aircraft. Mm. Um, During World War II, uh, it was operated for a flying school, and in 1958, the City of Toronto, and I think we just answered our question about the Harbour Commission, the City of Toronto owned the air, the, uh, the lands and sold it to Transport Canada. Okay, I see. There, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. So who changed the name of the facility to Toronto International Airport in 1960? Um, at that point, you know, some 1.4 million passengers, and I related that we're approaching 50 million now. Um, in 1927, Old Terminal 2 was open, which looked um, very much like a, a big, long cargo facility. It, mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, we demolished that for the development of the new Terminal 1, mm-hmm. which, um, which is actually now the only Terminal 1 at Toronto Pearson. Um, it was officially named uh, Lester B. Pearson in 1984, in honor, of course, of our 14th Prime Minister. And uh, in 1991, Terminal 3 was opened. It was built by a private consortium at the time, pursuant to a ground lease that Transport Canada had given them and the obligation to build and operate that terminal. One of the first things GTA did when it came into existence in 1996 was acquire Terminal 3 so that we then had oversight over all of the airport's operations, again, under one entity. So, and that was December 2nd, 1996, uh, we became a thing. So. so from the beginning to now, has the growth been very steady or have there been huge no. bumps in the growth? The growth, uh, growth is never a straight line and there have been uh, periods of time where there have been some, some dips in that growth. You know, the oil crisis, mm. SARS are some of the more recent ones mm. that we can point to. But, um, but the growth that we've experienced in, I would say, the last four years has actually started to become, I wouldn't use the term exponential, but it's certainly double digits. So. And that really is a reflection of how we're starting to serve a more global global 
audience global right. framework. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get that. Let's get to that a little bit later. I just a little bit curious then of the Greater Toronto Airports Authority. So that was established in 1996. Yes. And how did that come about? So Transport Canada, um, under uh, at the time, had decided that they would like to transfer management and operations of a series of airports across the country. Uh, they started with Vancouver, Montreal, um, Edmonton, and Calgary, I believe, and we were in a second tranche that went out. And so we have a long-term lease with Transport Canada, and uh, we are to manage and operate the airport for the benefit of the local region. We're supposed to manage it in a first-class way and, of course, safe, um, maintain a safe operation, maintain the assets, and improve the assets over time, and certainly we've done a fair bit of that. And so you're an arm's-length agency that reports to Transport Canada? Not quite. We're uh, in strictly in strict terms, we're a tenant of Transport Canada. We have a land lease with them, but we have a, a, an agreement, and that land lease is given to us with the obligation to oper- operate the airport. I see. And we are a non-share capital and a non-profit organization. All right, so you mentioned exponential growth uh, recently. Well, maybe that's a little bit too strong of a term, but we've seen some uh, pretty phenomenal growth in the last little while. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the challenges currently facing the airport right now? Well, um, so we've recently updated our master plan, which sort of is our long-term look at how, what infrastructure investments we need to make to accommodate this growth. And the largest pressure point really is the ground side access. Um, we, we are comfortable that we have um, sufficient lands and sufficient um, area to operate the aircraft and to land and take off. In fact, um, one, of the, one of the significant differences with this master plan from the previous master plan is that we orig- uh, previously, uh, the Transport Canada, or two, two iterations ago, suggested that you need a six runway in order to actually reach 50 to 60 million. Well, we're approaching 50, and within uh, 20 years will be, we think, around 80 million passengers. And given the nature of the aircraft that are coming, and they're denser, they're larger, and we're actually increasing our um, global activity as compared to smaller regional activity, um, that helps us be more productive with our runway assets. So the average number of passengers per aircraft has moved from under under 90 and, and it'd probably be upwards around one, uh, 150 mm-hmm. if, if we reach those forecasts. Forecasts are always wrong, so you mm-hmm. have to take, uh, take those with a grain of salt. So that's a significant difference. So we're, we're comfortable on, the, on a, what I would call the air side capacity side of the house. Terminal processing, where you get people get on and off planes, people go through customs, they go through security, their baggage gets delivered to the plane, gets removed from the plane, returned to them. All of that, we will need to expand our terminal processing facilities, but we we have a plan for that. I mean, we have uh, Terminal 1 and Terminal 3 existing. We have um, the new regional transit center that we're contemplating, and that will have an integrated passenger processing or terminal processing capacity as well. So with those three facilities expanded over time, uh, we should be able to manage that part of the growth. Again, we can land the aircraft. The, the, one of the challenges we'll have with the with the airside that we have is actually parking the aircraft. So, how many aircraft can you actually get up to the building and uh, and deplane people and unload bags? So you have almost like a fixed 
a fixed limit is how many I wouldn't aircraft. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's fixed it just means we're going to have to get more creative with how we use the land that we have so mm-hmm. so for example right now you can drive up to terminal three and get off uh, get out of a car at the curb walk in potentially in future you will no longer be able to do that because we've decided to repurpose that land for aircraft parking Mm-hmm. So, as an example. Right. Yeah. So then moving to groundside, um, that is where we have some significant concerns. And these were also raised in our previous master plan, which was issued some about 10 years ago. Um, we are concerned about the level of congestion. Everybody in the region is concerned about the level of congestion. We, uh, we sit in front of the single busiest highway in North America, 401, um, getting people, getting uh, employees, getting passengers, to and from the airport, moving goods to and from the airport, moving goods around the airport, getting people to and from the airport employment zone that we sit within. Um, those will be increasingly challenged if we don't move off of our current 10% transit mode share, transit mode split for how people get to the airport. So what happened? What would happen if if you didn't expand, if, if it was a status quo and you were left with the buildings as they are today, the terminals, could it, could it hit that 50, 55 million? For sure. At what point, what, what would be the, the point at which you, you can no longer handle any more passengers? Yeah. Um, Comfortably. Airport capacity is a pretty elastic thing, right? Um, I don't know if you remember the very old Terminal 1, the little round Terminal 1 that we had, had a design capacity of some 5 to 6 million. When it closed, it was handling over 11 million passengers. People weren't as comfortable as we would like them to be, um, and maybe the level of service and the, you know, and groundside access was a challenge at that time too. Um, the queues coming into that parking garage and underneath to get up into the terminal were increasing, but it worked. So, so um, is there a point of no return? Uh, it's really, why would we ever let it get to that point? We would want like to stay ahead a bit of that curve, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day. Um, you can you can get more capacity out of this place. It's just a question of the level of service that you would like to have. But as I said, we at least for the next 20 to 30 years see uh, uh, our ability to grow up to handle some 80 million passengers. Again, assuming that the assumptions that we're making about the way in which they're going to be presented to us with the airlines and the size of aircraft, et cetera. So that will all have to manifest generally as we as we forecast. Um, and that's why we revisit these plans from time to time, and that's why we try and build in flexibility to our terminal design as well. So, Just curious whether there's a point at which an airport becomes too big in order to effectively manage. I mean, there are other larger airports in other parts of the world that mm-hmm. have huge volumes of passengers. And can the airport still deliver the service that they, 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 uh, they try to deliver or they want to deliver? Um, or can we just keep growing and growing and growing and still deliver the kind of um, high-level service that 
passengers expect? We look at it a little differently, um, and I think if, as you think about airports around the world, you start to think about airport systems. So where, where the surrounding economy and the growth, like the the, the growth in the province and uh, that's predicted for the province, and the growth in immigration, the growth in population, those are things we're going to have to continue to figure out how to serve. We don't have a choice in that regard. That's our mandate. So um, it is now a question of how you choose to serve it and what are the things you can bring into the equation. So last year, we also announced the form, the formation of a network called the Southern Ontario Airports Network because Southern Ontario is blessed with a lot of aviation assets and they're not all fully utilized. And that in, as well includes the lands that Transport Canada has in reserve for a potential future Pickering Airport. So we're saying if, if our role for Canada, we're Canada's national airport, but we're Canada's global access airport. Other airports have global activity, and that's to serve their local origin and destination demand to get to global markets. We're saying for Canada, we will serve the role of being the global point of entry, Mm -hmm. um, the global point of connection as well um, for North America. And by doing that, we would like to see some of the other aviation assets start to f- start to serve more of their local O&D demand. Mm-hmm. Toronto Pearson can't be all things to everyone going, you know, forever. Um, there are other aviation assets that we'd like to see start to grow. Now, each of those has a community needs a needs a community license needs needs a sufficient level of demand to warrant direct service. Um, but those things will happen over time, and we've seen examples of that in New York and London, et cetera, Paris. There are multi-airport systems, and they and, do evolve. And that's yeah. what you're envisioning for the region. Yeah. You mentioned Pickering Airport, uh, or the lands, I should say, mm-hmm. not an airport right now. Um, it's been held as a future airport property for decades, and uh, I guess depending on who you speak to, some people still think it, it's going to happen. Other people shrug their shoulders, don't know, and other people are a little bit more pessimistic. Um, what, uh, what would be the reason why the government still wants to hold on to the lands for a future airport? It's not actually for us to say, mm-hmm. and nor can we actually speak for the federal government. Yeah. But what we, what we have been saying is you've had this asset sitting there for this long, don't immediately turn it over or discount an, an airport potential because as we see what's happening with the growth in the region, the economic growth, the population growth, the immig- you know, we see what our future is and we're starting to see, and again, capacities, not, you know, there's no hard point in time or, or defined level of growth at which you just say, no, we have to shut the doors because you'll always sort of figure out a way and the market forces start to happen. We're just saying, why don't we start having the conversation together so that we collectively understand the future, we collectively have a view of the future, and we all start to do what it is we need to do in our individual operations, our individual businesses, within our individual community and uh, economic context, and just make sure that we're leveraging all the assets. So the same would apply to the Pickering lands. So if there is an emergent need in the eastern half of the GTHA for more direct service, if congestion is such that uh, things start to get difficult, I mean, everyone thinks about that Mirabel example and says, you know, don't go there, don't go there at all. But this is a bit of a different way of approaching it. It's not a build it and they will come approach. It's a when there is a need, it will emerge. And then good 
people will make good decisions with solid facts and make good business cases. So there may be a time. So I'm curious now about the area surrounding the airport, uh, Pearson Airport. The uh, Neptis Foundation in 2016 released this report um, about the employment area, the employment generated in the area. And the report refers to the area as the airport megazone, which I think is an appropriate uh, title. And it determined that the employment area surrounding the airport is um, the second largest employment zone in the country. And that's really quite something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got to say, I was at first surprised to read that. But, you know, when you look at everything going on in the area, it, it makes sense. Yes. So... Um, Maybe you can help answer how Pearson and the surrounding area got to become the second largest employment zone in Canada. Oh, well, I'm sure there, there's more than one reason, I'm sure. And so I'll offer a few thoughts, but I don't, I don't uh, presume to have all the answers. But, you know, we talked earlier about why, why did Pearson get so big? Well, the, it's tied to the economic success of the region as well, right? So as the economics success of the region expands. We've got Brampton, Peel, Mississauga, Toronto, all growing. Um, Airports drive economic activity. So there's a strong link there, and it doesn't always have to be to the downtown core. And so we were... We were actually quite surprised as well when Neptis released this information and did this work because we, we were quite confident we were making a difference and actually representing economic growth Um, and you do your standard economic impact studies and you run through the StatScan models and you spit out numbers but when you actually started to land that on the ground and draw an area and then start to make comparisons to other concentrations of employment and they by the way in addition to the airport megazone they identified two other zones that don't really have any status within the provincial planning documents besides ourselves but uh, we're one of three that they've started to identify as not being recognized as an as an area within the planning disciplines. So, so um, and their point there being that if they don't exist in anyone's mind, and in our case, we sit within Mississauga largely, but also within Toronto and adjacent to Brampton. And those, um, we're in a multi-jurisdictional environment for when you start to plan around the airport. We are also on federal lands, so as so municipalities and provinces could sometimes say, well, that's someone else's problem to resolve. But now when you start to look at us uh, at the heart of such a large economic zone, it's called the mega zone in their book, but we're referring to it as the airport employment zone. And that's some 300,000 currently, and it, that will grow. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing when you start to think about it from that lens, and that can start to change a whole bunch of conversations, too. So a lot of those jobs are either directly or indirectly tied to airport activities. Not, um, yes, in a way. So for we are, uh, GTA itself is around 1,400, 1,500 employees. Okay. The airport, airlines, customs, everyone that actually has a, a more direct uh, role to play in moving people and feeding people and and uh, uh, servicing aircraft total around 49,000 um, 
which is a significant number. Um, and then you look at the 332,000. So there are aviation-dependent industries. So in that sense, yes, they're related. There's hotels, there's convention centers, there's a huge logistics uh, area to the east of us. So in that sense, yes, related. But also, um, as those things start to happen, it attracts other things offices there's there's office development that's uh, close to us not necessarily because of the global access although that's often a draw as well but also as the these things start to become self-propelling and and that's I think the conversation we now need to have what are we going to do with this airport employment zone um, how are we going to more proactively and more thoughtfully plan what's going to happen here so, so that NEPTIS report NEPTIS foundation report helped give you a little bit of a of a focus in terms of building your your vision for the, or it did. I guess we, an we argument were, yeah for the well we were we were progressing anyway we had as I said identified a big concern for ourselves we're going to need to get people cargo employees passengers to and from the airport but we also wanted to make sure that um, the, a, the the businesses that depend on us and actually are not located on airport but act, need to access as well they're taken care of. And then we started to look at the ground transportation plans and you know we, we have a lovely map that shows a bunch of things that are in discussion under review approaching us but not coming to us. Mm -hmm. So so that was sort of the gap in the network that we said we could start to fill. And then lo and behold Neptis came along and said that's interesting that you you're saying this because we're also saying that there's a planning hole a, a black hole of planning that uh, that needs to be addressed so the two come together quite nicely so let's talk a, then a little bit more about the vision for the the growth of the airport this the master plan which is available on your website it's 2017 to 2037 yeah just in reading the first chapter the first paragraph uh it appears that you need to do these master plan updates every 10 years. So that that's already set in place. So yes. Reviewing hence, the, hence the funny time frame, right? 2017, 2017. to 2037. Yeah. Right. So in 2027, you will have another master plan that will... So they're, they're kind of overlapping, these 20-year these, these master plans. They are. So uh, we transferred in 1996, and we had a year to produce the inaugural master plan for GTAA, and then an obligation to update that every 10 years thereafter. Good businesses do planning anyway, so we're not waiting every 10 years to decide how we're going to develop. And that's why when you look through the master plan, you won't see, you know, we're going to build this on this day, and then we're going to build this next on that day, because things will change. Um, we have a roadmap for ourselves with options, um, and we, we've done our best to think about what we might like to do, but we will actively manage that as we go through and start to break that into more manageable pieces. Mm -hmm. Well, this this master plan though is it seems like it's it's a, a much bolder departure from other maybe airport growth master plans, only because it's incorporating this notion of a of a transit center, and some people have coined the term Union Station North. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about sure. this transit, it, where it's located, and uh, why it's needed, and and how that would all function. Mm -hmm. uh, with the airport and maybe just add a little bit more about uh, how much additional space you need uh, for the airport itself. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're, we're fairly comfortable that we have enough airside, enough land to expand our terminal processing. 
Uh, we are concerned about ground access to the airport. We've noticed that there's a, de- there's a gap in the regional transit network. So the proposition is we will build a regional transit centre on airport. Um, we, will, we will build it in a way that has integrated additional uh, terminal processing because we need to expand that as well. And the region can then also use it in much the same way we have airlines connecting and passengers connecting through here, plane to plane. You could also at some point envision something else to plane. And then as well, you can envision for a regional transit network, there's commuters to commuters um, as well. So if there's, a, if there's an actual gap in the regional transit network, which we feel strongly there is in the Western GTHA, um, and if we need transit access, greater transit access, we're at about 10%. We'd like to be 30 40 50%. That's what the other global hubs around the world are achieving. That means we need to be embedded in a regional network in a much different way than we are now. Um, so that's why we put it in our plan, and we've actually, last last spring, we unveiled a vision for what this might look like, um, and pretty pictures are lovely, but pretty pictures, you know, now need to be converted into something much more concrete, but we've said, you know, within, within the next 10 years, we'd like to have a first phase of that up and running. And what might that first phase look like? That's so. There's a there's a million dollar question there. So, um, it will certainly have some passenger processing capability. It will have. Um, it will protect for. Full in, fuller integration or better integration into the regional uh, express rail network. Mm-hmm. Um, we will, you know, like like with the Pickering lands, never say never on high-speed rail. So, um, and look around the global hubs around the airport and see how integrated they are into a, a higher-order rail network in their regions. So, if that were to come to pass, we'd want to make sure we'd protect it for that. Then, moving down in order, um, LRT Eglinton is uh, Eglinton Crosstown. It will be extended to Renforth, so it should also come to the heart of the airport. Um, Finch LRT could possibly somehow be integrated and then let's not forget the rubber tire vehicles so there's a myriad of bus operations we currently have Mississauga Brampton and TTC Transit operating um, but their networks could also be expanded so we would certainly provide for a continued of that and actually that could start to form a large portion of a, of a first phase of a regional transit center hmm. so has there been any thought put to how much even just the first phase might cost um, there are some numbers that have been out there, but honestly, we, we really do now have to get serious with uh, architects and engineers mm-hmm. and start to really lay out what that might cost. I mean, we've programmed some money in our long-range capital plan. Um, we would expect other partners to be coming to the table, transit operators, uh, province, you know, Metrolinks, etc., mm-hmm. because these transit lines, and we, we, we aren't a transit company, we are an airport, um, but what we're saying is there are, there are things that can be done that will benefit the region, both from connecting the global airport better and also serving the airport employment zone better and also potentially serving uh, cross-regional traffic. A lot better. Are there any major challenges you see to to making this happen aside from the cost? Um, you know, when we talk about this, we 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 get very positive receptions from people who can see what it is that we're also saying that there is a, there is a gap and and it would be wonderful to fill it in that way. Um, I think there will be uh, if you're talking about engineering challenges, there's no end of those. Um, 
But, you know, preliminary feasibility looks have established that this isn't a thing that couldn't possibly happen. So now it is a case of finding a way to make it happen in a logical step, series of steps to make that happen. Do you see your your organization, GTAA, leading the discussion um, to help build momentum? Are you guys going to be taking the lead? What do you need to do to get all the stakeholders involved? So we have been taking the lead, and I would say that we're, we're, we will continue to do so. Um, but we need others to, to participate with us, right? So as I said earlier, nobody... Nobody is disagreeing that this isn't a good thing and a worthy thing to pursue. Everybody has individual priorities. Um, we could we could talk for days on on uh, you know on the, the whole transit file writ large and some of the challenges that organizations are facing, and and we acknowledge all of that. Um, but what we're saying is we we also can't keep take our eye off the ball about what's happening here. So there's there's a reason to start refining the plan. We've got a vision. People have endorsed the vision. Um, so that's your next step. Is so that to is to start plan. to refine the plan okay. because let's let's start turning this into more concrete action steps yeah. and a series of phases. And we want to do that collaboratively with others. So because we are, um, you know, when we're planning runways and we're planning terminals, aside from dealing with the stakeholders, the community stakeholders, and the airline customers, etc., um, we really can you know, sorted out amongst ourselves, the aviation community and, the, and of course, the community outside that gets uh, impacted and is interested to see what kind of aircraft noise might, uh, yeah. might take place with growth. Um, but once we've moved outside, we really do have to do this planning in a much more integrated way, integrated. So the federal government with the provincial agencies, with the municipal agencies, they're all looking at transportation planning and land use planning because it needs to be transit planning and, and land use planning, as many others are starting to say, is needs to be integrated much better as well. So back to NEPTIS and back to you know the provincial growth secretariat starting to lay out different ways for municipalities to start putting together their own plans. So It's a, an enormous task uh, that, that lies ahead of you. And it's exciting. It's really exciting. It's really to, exciting to, uh, yeah. to be at this point where we're, you're taking this very bold next step uh, beyond just an airport, but mm-hmm. talking about this regional transit uh, hub or mm-hmm. center. Um, I guess my last question: Are there any airports out there, uh, international probably mm-hmm. airports out there, that you look to for inspiration? Um, it depends on what we're thinking about, right. but if we're talking about transit, then we're certainly looking at you know what what London Heathrow has done, what Frankfurt has done, what Munich has done, what Schiphol has done. Uh, they're they're and closer to home, what Vancouver has done with the Canada Line. So they're much more integrated into a regional transit network, and it's um, sometimes it's an inter-regional transit network in the case of in the case of many European airports. So. How is it that we can maintain our position on as a global hub airport? Um, because we, we, we take that seriously because that is an obligation and, and uh, a mandate we have to serve the national and the provincial and the, the local economies. How is it we can make sure that we still, 
you know, we're, we're at, people don't come to airports. Our CEO, Howard Eng, is very fond of saying people don't come to airports. They're coming to do business. They're coming to visit friends. They're coming to go on a trip, or they're coming to connect through on to somewhere else in the country. So um, for those that are actually wanting to get off a plane and get on the ground here in Toronto, we need to make it much more easy to get around. For those folks in the airport employment zone and the airport employees, we need to make it easier for them to get to and from. We don't, you know, we don't run on a typical corporate business day. This airport needs folks here many more hours than that. Um, and then finally, goods movement, because we always forget to talk about that, but um, 40% of, air, of Canada's air cargo comes through the bellies of the aircraft here, and as those aircraft grow in number and in size, there will be more. Those trucks need to get around, and so if the roads are continue to be clogged by single-driver vehicles, if we aren't doing our part to help that, um, again, you know, we're making sure ground access to the airport is taken care of, but we also have, uh, we very strongly feel we have a role to play in the region's success. So, That's a great way to sum it up. <laughs> um, thanks so much. This has been really fascinating to learn more about the vision you guys have for the airport well into the future. And, um, and as a Torontonian and as a planner, I certainly wish you all the success. I think it's really exciting. So thanks so much for spending the time. You're very welcome, and thanks for letting us tell our story. Okay, great. Mm-hmm.